A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Indeed we do, Dory. Welcome one and all. Before we dig into today's episode, a friendly reminder that you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com for links to everything we mention on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at forever35pod and Instagram at forever35podcast. And you can join the Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. You can shop all our favorite prods at shopmyshelf.us slash forever35. And do sign up for our newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. And if you want to reach us, you can call or text us at 781-591-0390. And you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Ah, now, Dory. Kate, yes. This is one of those episodes where we just had such an amazing and long conversation with our guest that we're just going to get right into it. Yeah, this guest has been 
requested many a time. And we are so thrilled and honored that she agreed to come on our show. She's a brilliant beauty reporter who you may have heard of. Today's guest is Jessica DeFino. An icon, truly. I mean, someone who challenges me to think about everything when it comes to beauty culture and skincare. I mean, and you and I are both subscribers to her beauty newsletter, The Unpublishable, which is really excellent. Highly recommend a subscribe if you are so inclined. Um, Why don't we share Jessica's bio for our listeners, whether you are familiar with her work or not? Let's do that. Jessica DeFino is a pro-skin slash anti-product beauty reporter, dismantling beauty standards, debunking marketing myths, and exploring how beauty culture impacts people physically, psychologically, and psycho-spiritually. Her work, quote, basically gives the middle finger to the entire beauty industry, end quote, as HuffPost once put it. And you can find her articles in such esteemed locations as the New York Times, Vogue, Women's Wear Daily, Teen Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Allure, The Cut, Elle, Cosmo, Marie Claire, Glamour Self, Covetour, Man Repeller, Hello Giggles, Business Insider, The Zoe Report, Fashionista.com, and more. She also writes the aforementioned weekly-ish beauty newsletter, The Unpublishable, as seen in New York Magazine, The Sunday Times, and Fast Company. And it really is an excellent newsletter. Um, and I have to be honest, like I was very excited and also I think a little bit apprehensive to get to speak with Jessica because she really challenges my thinking about a lot of practices that I have. Ooh, and yes. Yeah. Yes, and yes. like, I think it's really good to be pushed to question why we do these things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I just appreciate her work so much. And like, she was such a delight to get to chat with, like truly. Yeah. I really enjoyed our conversation. So as I said, we're just going to get right into it. So, um, we'll be right back with Jessica. We are so excited to have you on the show today, Jessica. Welcome to Forever 35. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, this is, um, this is a dream, honestly. Uh, we're both, yeah, we've both been such fans of yours for a while, and having you on the podcast um, has just been something we've been talking about for a long time. So we have a lot oh, to talk to you so about. Happy. Yeah, yes. and um, our listeners often will be like, um, "Guest suggestion at Jessica Defino," and lately and we're like, it's "We're been on very- it, we're on it." <laughs> Don't worry. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a lot of crossover. Um, in our, your readership, our listenership. So, um, well, we do always like to start off by asking our guests about a self-care practice that they have. I'm wondering if part of your self-care is what you mentioned before we started recording. That's literally the first thing that, that came to my mind, um, is paddleboarding. I started paddleboarding two summers ago and I'm not athletic at all. And I've never really been what I would consider outdoorsy. So Mm -hmm. it felt like a, and I don't know where the inspiration came from, but one day I was just like, I think I want a paddleboard. And I got myself an inflatable paddleboard, like the cheapest one you could get. And I ended up loving it. And I try to go paddleboarding a couple times a week. And it's just like so peaceful. 
I'm on the water, I'm in the air, I can't have my phone with me, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's completely quiet, like no distractions, and it's just like this active meditation, I I think of it as. Is this an ocean situation? Same question. It is a uh, it is a lagoon to a bay situation. I am I'm lucky enough to be staying in my grandparents' old shore house in New Jersey in the on the Jersey Shore. And they had this beautiful lagoon front property through my whole childhood. We would come here, you know, summers, summer weekends. And um, post-divorce, I moved in here while I sort of got my act together. And I've really been taking advantage of being right on the water. So we're at the end of the lagoon. And I take my paddleboard up and down the lagoon and out into the bay and come back. And it's, it's like a nice, quiet, private situation, which I love. Oh. And I feel so, so lucky to have it for now. That sounds so nice. I'm kind of just... Yeah, you like, can come paddleboarding anytime. I'm dying I, for company. <laughs> I would love to. I mean, we're in LA, so it would be a bit far. But if I do find myself on the Jersey Shore, I will yeah, show up. up. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what we're going to talk about for the bulk of the conversation, but I've never been to the Jersey Shore and I feel like it's it's this magical place that's overshadowed by like our very incorrect perception of New Jersey. Yeah. We're very sensitive about that here in New Jersey because Jersey is so beautiful and just so amazing. And it really does have everything. And culturally we're just known for like, you know, mobsters and the Jersey shore. And we're so (laughs) much more than that. (laughs) Well, Let's dig into it because we have a whole list of questions that we're dying to ask you and topics we want to reflect on in terms of our own actions. So let's just start, if you don't mind, with you sharing kind of how you got to where you are in the beauty space because you've really established yourself as a leading critic of beauty and wellness industry. Um, and you got your start writing for the Kardashians, which I think is so interesting. So would you mind kind of taking us? through how you got to this point and if there was like a light bulb moment for you that got you thinking about beauty in this really critical way yes um yeah it's been quite a journey i'll try and make it as short as possible but i graduated college and moved to los angeles and my goal was to become a wardrobe stylist in the music industry so i started assisting there and from there i kind of got thrown into this Um, pipeline of celebrity lifestyle reporting. So I started out as a wardrobe stylist, and then I moved up to production assistant and producer for photo shoots, which got me involved in fashion magazines, which I had always loved. So I was producing celebrity content there, like doing covers with Rihanna for Harper's Bazaar Arabia and Salma Hayek for El Mexico, and then was recruited to work on the Kardashian-Jenner apps from there. Um, and I was an assistant editor on all five of the Kardashian-Jenner apps in, in 2015 when they launched and was basically just like creating content for the most famous woman in the world, a lot of which was beauty content. And from there, it was the first position I had where beauty PR people were sending me products for free because obviously they wanted them featured on the Kardashians apps. And I started using all of these like expensive, fancy products that I had never had access to before. And I felt so cool. And my skin uh, was 
ruined by them. (laughs) I think it was a combination of just like so many products and a ton of stress from being like, you know, I mean, working for the Kardashian apps is a really high profile, high stress, 24 seven position. So the stress and the products caused something called dermatitis. I was put on steroids by my dermatologist for the dermatitis. The steroids made it worse. And I ended up just um, with something they call skin atrophy, where like my skin literally atrophied as an organ. It couldn't function. I couldn't use products anymore. I could barely like splash my face with water. It burned. Um, So I got to this point where I couldn't use products. I couldn't put makeup on. And my skin was like peeling off of my face from uh, steroid withdrawal. And it was sort of this two-pronged realization for me. One was just like, I have worshipped products my whole life and products have ruined me. (laughs) And two, when I'm not able to like wear makeup and feel beautiful, I feel absolutely worthless. Mm. What's going on here? (laughs) And that, yeah, that was sort of my light bulb moment and led me down this road of being a a critic of beauty and and exploring how it shapes our lives often um, in, in really negative ways. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your um, no skincare lifestyle, which is something that you've kind of advocated for. Um, I'm wondering, like, from your perspective, how has the skincare industry kind of conditioned us to think that we need like more, more, more when it comes to products? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think capitalism and consumerism in general has just conditioned us to believe in solutionism, which is the Mm. idea that any product, any problem can be solved by a product. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gets compounded and compounded and compounded. And we get to the point where we have all of these products and a lot of them are actually causing more problems. And then so we get more products to fix those problems caused by the original products. We can see this across like all facets of our lives. Um, But but especially in skincare. Um, So I always like to say when people sort of question my my low product skincare routine that human skin survived and thrived for millennia before pre-bottled products were invented. Like it was fine. It was pretty much fine. (laughs) Um, And there's just like no reason that human skin would evolve to need something that wouldn't be invented for millennia. Um, And then the science bears that out. The skin has built-in functions to self-cleanse, self-moisturize, self-exfoliate, self-protect, self-heal. Of course, certain things get in the way. Um, just like any other part of our body, sometimes it does need support from us. Um, but I think it's really important to start with that foundational knowledge of how the skin functions and realize that products most often are not a need, but like a nice to have in some Mm. cases, if possible, if you have access. Well, and like you point out this, this obsession with solutionism, it's like, you end up in this sort of cycle of chasing some perfectionism that is endlessly elusive. Yes. I mean, especially in skincare, I would say the main promise of skincare these days is um, age, agelessness, <laughs> anti-aging, yeah. this idea that you can age backwards or that Um, your age will never show on your face. And that's Mm -hmm. just an impossible ideal. It's never going to happen. Um, It's a really convenient battle cry for the beauty industry because it is an unachievable goal. And once once they get you to believe that anti-aging is possible in some small way, they have you hooked for life. 
because of course it's not possible. And there will always be another product to try, another procedure to try. This is like the perfect standard to get you buying for life. It makes you Mm. consumed by beauty and consuming beauty products um, forever. You had Uh a recent... (laughs) (laughs) that's just you you just summed me up in a nutshell (laughs) i mean it's all of us and i think that's important to know too is like uh, um i'm a critic of beauty but i am not immune to beauty marketing and i feel the pressure all of the time and it's a very conscious effort on my part to like deconstruct the marketing that i am receiving and and at you know as a way of being mindful as a way of taking care of myself and saying okay, this is not real. This promise doesn't mm. exist. There's mm. no reason for you to buy this product. You don't have to do this. <laughs> but I feel it, you know, just the same. It's essentially like skincare atheism almost. Ooh. Or agnosticism. <laughs> thank you, Dory. Yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to touch on what you brought up about anti-aging because you wrote a really great newsletter about Kim Kardashian's new skincare line. Um, where you kind of deconstructed her comment that she would consider eating poop every day to mm-hmm. potentially look younger. And you pointed out that she's working with Joanna Check um, on her skincare line and that Joanna like had this comment about not using the term anti-aging. And I feel like now there's like all these kind of mental gymnastics, this like very kind of funny needle that people are trying to thread with like not using the term anti-aging, but like promoting things that are anti-aging. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise anyone coming from the beauty industry because the beauty industry is all about the surface. And mm-hmm. that is what we are seeing with some of these um very surface level changes to the industry. You know, for instance, anti-aging is like this taboo. You can't say the words anti-aging, but you can still promote anti-aging products and anti-aging ideology and, and, and communicate this idea that like youth is beauty and you must be youthful and ageless in order to be worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we just use different language to communicate it now. So things like pro-aging or aging gracefully or, um, preservaging is a big Ooh, one. Um, all of these mean the same thing. And that is like to look young is to be beautiful and yeah. to look old is to be worthless. Um, and I think, yeah, that Kim Kardashian comment that she would eat poop to look younger is such a great example of the hold that this, this ideal of youth as beauty has on us. Like so many people, I don't, mean to single out Kim Kardashian, but she's very famous and she said it. But I think a lot of people would agree. I think there are millions of people out there who would be like, well, yeah, if it's going to make me look younger, I'll eat my own shit. (laughs) That's what the beauty industry does to us. Like, I don't think that's that crazy of a claim. I, or that uncommon of a claim rather. Um, I'm, I'm glad she said it because it gives us a chance to point this out and like look within and say, where do I agree with this actually? And what can I do to start divesting from this ideology? So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. (music) 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events there's weddings there's nights out it's vacations i mean like all the things happening in summer and what i love is that honey love has just the right thing for all those events feel comfortable and confident this summer with honey love's best selling superpower short the superpower short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it, like, the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. 
You got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 Lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, Even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Okay, we're back. Can we dig in a little bit to the whole idea of clean green beauty, non-toxic beauty products, and how that is ultimately also essentially just marketing. But it it also creates this mindset of solutionism of like, I must find the purest product so that I'm not consuming toxic. I mean, how how does that... Right. Where is the science and where is the marketing line in that conversation? 
It's really interesting. And I actually think that the ethos behind a lot of clean beauty rhetoric um, comes from a kernel of truth. It is true that there are beauty products that are not great for our health. It is true that there are a ton of beauty products that are not good for the environment at all. There are ingredients that we should not be introducing into our ecosystems, our bodies, or onto our skin. Um, there are a lot of problems with formulation in the conventional beauty space. That said, the, again, the solution is never going to be a different product. Mm. <laughs> and I, I really used to support a lot of clean beauty, a lot of clean beauty brands. That was sort of my space in the industry when I first started out. Um, and then one day I had this realization that even, you know, quote unquote, non-toxic beauty brands were promoting these really toxic beauty standards and a really mm. toxic form of consumerism. And to me, that is more important than going after individual ingredients is exploring the toxic ideas underneath the product. What ideals are they selling you? What um, materials are they selling you? What, uh, what are they, you know, it, it's really not a solution to the real problem. It's a semi solution to a problem that still perpetuates terrible beauty ideals and um, planet killing consumerism. That reminds me of what you've said about how skincare culture is like dewy diet culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, so that good. is my, my current uh, battle cry, I guess you could call it because I feel like we have come so far with understanding diet culture yeah. as this, um, toxic force in the world that does not have our best interests at heart and is fueled by um, corporate greed and control and um, and standards that are not rooted in physical reality. Uh, and the beauty industry is the same. Beauty culture is the same. It's just usually directed um, above the neck. <laughs> and for some reason, um, even like the strongest anti-diet culture supporters will abandon their their beliefs entirely when it comes to something like under eye bags or crow's feet um, or like a sagging neck. <laughs> and I really want people to understand that like you can pretty much insert the word beauty for diet in any discussion mm -hmm. of diet culture and it will cross over. And I really, really hope that we can start to like collectively see that um, sooner rather than later. Yeah. How, how is the medical establishment kind of complicit in perpetuating mm, Yeah, that is a great way to draw um, a beauty culture to diet culture parallel. Um, so one example I always like to bring up is that recently there has been a lot of literature coming out about how BMI, body mass index, for so long was used as this marker of health. It's influenced insurance policies. It's influenced um, medical studies. It's influenced how doctors are giving individual patients care. It's, it's influenced how, um, how collectively we are getting a lower standard of medical care because through BMI and similar um, studies, beauty standards being thin have been subsumed into medical care. And so, you know, there are stories about fat patients going to doctors and, and saying something is wrong, something is wrong. And the doctors say, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And, you know, at the end of a years long battle, it turns out 
they had cancer, they had PCOS. Um, so like real medical issues are getting ignored because of a beauty standard. Um, and it is very similar in dermatology. Um, I hear stories all of the time, for example, of patients going into their derm for the yearly um, skin cancer screening. And while they're there, the dermatologist will be like, um, have you considered Botox? You're, you know, you're in your thirties now. What about filler? Uh, I offer all of these services. And it's sort of this, it warps your mind because here is a medical provider who is screening you for cancer and also saying, um, get Botox and get lip filler. And here are some other procedures I can perform for you. And it starts to feel like these things are part of being healthy. These things are care. Um, and they're really not, um, they're beauty standards. Um, and it even goes for, you know, for example, my experience with steroids, um, steroids mm. are really dangerous. They can be effective at eliminating symptoms, skin symptoms for eczema, for dermatitis, for example. They'll get rid of, you know, what it looks like for two weeks, but they don't address the underlying cause at all. And so often that is what we see in dermatology, the mainstream solutions, retinoids, steroids, um, Accutane, address the surface level symptom at the expense of the root level cause. Um, and we're missing out on really important health cues. I, I can't remember where in your work I was reading this, but you you talk about the importance of mental health and emotional health um, and how they factor into skincare. And that isn't really part of our discussion culturally. Um, no. What, where, where should we be focusing and and looking and thinking about those two things and how it relates to our skin? Yes. Um, so, one of the most mind blowing discoveries for me early on in my career of starting to, you know, give beauty standards the side eye and be like, hey, this doesn't really make sense, was I discovered all of these studies around something called the gut-brain-skin axis. And that is this sort of internal network of neurons and nerves and, and microbial bacteria that connects our gut, um, our brain, and our skin. And the brain-skin connection is especially strong. Um, and so there are all sorts of studies that show, for example, um, stress exacerbates a lot of skin issues. I think this is a really uh, mainstream idea. Most people understand that like when they're really stressed, uh, they'll pop a pimple or um, their eczema will flare up. If you have psoriasis, if you have um, rosacea, you'll notice these things are exacerbated during times of stress. That's the most common example of the brain-skin connection. Um, or, you know, if you're embarrassed, you blush. Or if you're scared, the color drains from your face, brain, skin. What has been completely ignored by the mainstream beauty media is that the connection goes the other way too. So we have all of these studies that show that mindfulness and meditation actually have a positive impact on your skin. So in a way, um, in a very real way, Self-care that addresses your mental state is also skin care. Um, we know that meditation actually strengthens the skin barrier. It helps the skin barrier um, seal in water so that it doesn't leak. So your skin is actually more moisturized when you are meditating and calm and, and um, tending to your central nervous system in that way. And, you know, you hear all the time, the inner glow um, of people who meditate, but it's actually not an inner glow. Like that's a real outer glow. Your skin barrier is stronger and holding onto water and like literally glowing from that form of self-care. Um, and I would love to see that 
that talked about more and that highlighted more because we have so much power. Like we have so much power within us and we are constantly giving away this power to products. And that hurts my soul. (laughs) So is there a way for us to be critical about our participation but to also participate, I, I guess, like, how do you not make yourself, uh, I don't want to use the word crazy, but how do you not kind of get overwhelmed with this idea of having to be a perfect uh, rejector of mm-hmm. beauty culture? And I struggle with this yes. with diet culture also. I mean, this is this is something I find really challenging as an individual is how do we not participate in these systems? And also, what do we do? And I don't know if you have the answer when we enjoy participating, like, mm-hmm. to be honest, I love putting eye patches under my eyes and all that crap, but do I love it? Or am I just conditioned to believe that I love it? I, this is a, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of panic arising. I mean, I here, think but- just the fact that you're questioning it is, mm-hmm. is, uh, wonderful. And also sometimes just enough, depending on the beauty behavior that you are questioning. Um, Yeah, no, it's impossible to not participate in some of these systems. And that is by design. I think that is really important to keep in mind. Your obsession with beauty culture, your obsession with diet culture, these, um, that's the whole point of beauty culture and diet culture is to get you obsessed. So it's not some like personal failing that you want to participate or you feel you have to participate. That is exactly how the system is designed to operate and it's operating well. Um, and again, there's only so much we can do as individuals to divest from that system. Like really getting out from under the grip of beauty culture is going to involve a lot of collective action and policy change and, and changes structurally in systems like the medical systems and systems like, you know, dermatology, for example, and the beauty industry. So you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders as an individual consumer. Um, that said, I do think once once you as an individual start to understand the origins of some of these standards and start start to like decondition and understand that so much of your um your interest in physical beauty has been conditioned um you don't want to participate anymore you start to realize how your actions do have consequences for the collective because beauty culture is a collective experience you can't just say it's my individual experience um for example I have, um, I've hosted like open threads on my newsletter where I encourage people to like comment and share their stories. And we talk a lot about like our, our first experiences of beauty culture where we first got the idea that we weren't beautiful enough. We weren't good enough. We weren't thin enough. So much of it comes from family, um, and peers. Mm. So it, it isn't always this like impossible celebrity standard, like Kim Kardashian made me feel like shit. No, it's, it's your mom actually instilled you with diet culture or your best friend was like, I'm going to get Botox and suddenly started thinking about your own wrinkles. So we, our actions do have this sort of ripple effect on the collective, um, on our peers. And I think it's really important that we recognize that and we can hold space for the fact that we have been conditioned. And we are conditioning others also with our actions. And, and there's no way to individually stop that. But, but your individual like participation or not participation does make a difference. Um, so my, I mean, my advice is just to be gentle on yourself, but also just deeply question everything 
that you feel compelled to do in terms of physical beauty and ask yourself why and keep asking yourself why. I call it being the eternal toddler. Um, you know, oh my God. <laughs> I, example, have a, like, I have a yeah. three-year-old and he is like <laughs> deep in his why phase and it just like I does that. not stop. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we like, that is the, the brilliance of a child is like, they question things that yep. when you're an adult, you're conditioned to just accept as this is how things are. And a kid is like, well, why is that the way things are? Totally. And you know what? There's always an answer. There is always an answer and you can always go deeper. Um, and I also think it's helpful to frame a lot of these beauty behaviors as coping mechanisms and understand mm. like the pain of existing within beauty culture is real. And that's the reason that we adopt so many of our beauty behaviors is because we're in pain. Even if we can't feel that pain, because like, for instance, beauty, um, beauty culture conditions you to dissociate at every turn. You have to dissociate to endure the pain of an eyebrow wax or a bikini wax. You have to dissociate to endure um, a Pilates class, for example. So we are conditioned to just be blind to our own pain, whether it's physical or emotional. Um, and if you can open yourself up to the possibility that a lot of our participation in the beauty industry and in beauty culture stems from the pain of beauty culture, and we can start to address those root issues and the real reasons we're in pain rather than trying to mask it with a product. I think just like that's a just a slow, gentle, um, empowered divestment process that that everyone can like attempt at their own speed. Ooh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, it's a lot. It's a lot to kind of like wrap my head around. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. 
OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. All right, we are back. I am wondering, you know, you brought up the stuff that we've kind of internalized from our own families. And Kate and I are both parents. I'm wondering, how do we not pass this shit down? Yeah, I mean, that is a really tough question. And I am not a parent. So I feel like any personal like advice or thoughts I would have would only be partial because I've never been in that I've never been in that um, situation for myself. But I will say from interviewing hundreds of people and from getting thousands of emails and comments, um, the parent to child relationship is really, really, really powerful when it comes to beauty culture and diet culture. So my advice would be to like, really evaluate your participation as much as you can emotionally bear to like if you're putting yourself at a disadvantage by stopping your participation that's not really going to be helpful either but if you can you know if it doesn't bother you to go makeup free so your kid doesn't see you putting on makeup just to leave the house to like get toilet paper at CVS that you know actually sends a powerful message um if you can avoid you know talking about your body in in a negative way um, or complimenting their body in a positive way or mm. complimenting other people's bodies in positive ways. Like sometimes the positive reinforcement of beauty culture does, does just as much damage as the negative reinforcement. Um, so just, I mean, being conscious of your language, but also being conscious of of your behaviors because they do, they do parrot it. There was this, um, there's this, sort of trend going around on TikTok or Instagram reels recently where beauty influencers have been like turning the camera on their children, like their young children, like one-year-old, two-year-old and handing them um, things from their makeup bag and seeing what the kid does with it if they know how to use it. And these videos are so wild because you'll see the mom hand a mascara tube to the two-year-old girl and she starts going like this. She knows what it's for. She hands, you know, the blush thing to a one-year-old and they start going, you know, like this, they know what it's for. Um, and it's supposed to be this really cute video trend, but to me, it's just so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking because like we absorb that information so young and so completely. And it makes it so hard to decondition later. Like, look at us, how old are we? And we're still talking about this and yeah. we have no idea why we do what we do. And it, it gets ingrained in us so young. And that is again, um, by design. That's part of the system. That's how they get you. So, I mean, I think just like being mindful as mothers, like the fact that you're asking those questions is, is, is huge and like the perfect first step. I think too, the, the idea that you brought up earlier of the fact that like you, you can't help your participation in the system. I, I, as my kids are a little bit older and I feel that way too, that no matter what, and this has been an intention of mine since they were born, but like, no matter what I'm, this is still, it's still going to be there. There's never, you know, like mm -hmm. we are not uh, perfect beings in these systems. So like it, there's always going to be bits and pieces that come up because I think you can, 
it, it can it can weigh on you this you know worrying so much about how we're passing these things on but there's the other thing that's terrible is that they get it from elsewhere so even mm-hmm. if you are and I'm just I'm ranting but even if no, even if right. you are you know not participating at home as best you can they it's all picked up in so many different places that it feels impossible um mm-hmm. which can feel discouraging yeah no you're totally right and and I totally get that and that's why I'm so passionate about doing work around dismantling beauty standards and beauty culture because it is a collective experience and like we're going to have to collectively act to sort of counteract some of these exposures that we get from from everyone from the media from politicians from from policies from law enforcement like beauty culture ideals are are embedded in all of these institutions and and so i think i think you're totally right to point out that like our personal participation has its limits and there shouldn't necessarily be guilt associated with any mm. of it but just like i think of it more as joy like to me the reason the beauty industry and beauty culture is so powerful is because beauty is this inherent human longing. I see it as like a spiritual thing and not in terms of being religious, but in terms of like the human spirit, the human spirit craves beauty, beauty, like a sunset, beauty, like an ocean, beauty, like we see in nature, we crave that and we need it and we deserve it. And we are entitled to that. The problem is the beauty industry has co-opted that longing and has told us this is what beauty is. And they've given us this purely one-dimensional physical representation that is full of all of these rules and standards and products that we have to use. Um, and so I think that our our participation so often is like craving that sort of like soul deep, wild beauty and being served these like physical tools that don't actually don't actually satisfy that craving. Um, and so I think my goal in like dismantling all of this is to feel the joy of true beauty and to like open people up to this like other idea of beauty that is so much more expansive and dynamic and multidimensional and just like full of joy. And that is what I want people to feel. So if you can come at your, your critique of beauty culture, not from a place of like negativity, but a place of just like wanting to experience joy for yourself and wanting everyone around you to experience the joy of like what actual beauty and actual self-expression is. Um, it, it probably is a lot healthier in terms of like your mental wellness and your emotional well-being. Are there positives? I was thinking, you know, in kind of thinking about our conversation today, especially about makeup and self-expression and how influential it can be, especially with young folks or with exploring gender identity or gender expression and self-expression. Do you see positive aspects to beauty culture to makeup, makeup culture, those sorts of things? Mm -hmm. I don't see any positive aspects to beauty culture. That would be like saying, are there positive aspects to diet culture? Okay. No, there are positive aspects to like vegetables, you know, (laughs) and there are positive (laughs) aspects to makeup. (laughs) So that is a very good comparison. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say that any aspect of beauty culture is positive, but there are aspects of these individual tools that can be used in positive ways. Like any other tool, you can use um, a hammer to build a house that gives a family shelter, or you can use it to um, brutally murder somebody. (laughs) You know, it's how you use the tool. Uh, Sorry, that was like a a bit of a crude example. Nope, it works. (laughs) In terms of makeup, 
Yes. I mean, makeup has been part of human expression uh, since like the beginning of civilization. You know, we see it in Egyptian cultures. We see it in ancient African tribes in indigenous tribes and native Americans. Um, makeup was, was a communal tool. It was often used in ceremony. It was often used to, um, sort of embody or reflect the gods that they were worshiping or to symbolize their position in the community to say, this is who I am. Um, different tribes had different makeup that they would wear as a form of like unity. And, you know, you can see that today too. Like for example, like punk makeup or goth makeup, um, when you wear that out in the world, you're saying, this is who I am. And it's like a, a signal to other people who who can connect with that and it can bring people together. And I think that is beautiful. And I think that is necessary and we should preserve that power um, of beauty at all costs. That being said, that's not how beauty is primarily being used. Mm. Um, a lot of times when people come up against critique of beauty, they call out these like exceptions to the rule as a way to keep us from critiquing the rule. Um, most often mm. today, beauty is used as a tool of conformity complacency and consumerism. And we have to critique those uses in order to preserve the power of these other uses. Mm. Um, and like in terms of self-expression, I always like to say, um, you know, if, if we're really expressing ourselves through makeup, would all of us be um, using concealer? Would all of us be expressing ourselves through a cat eye and lipstick? Like we're talking about the self. This is like an almost infinite experience of like, energy and and your spirit and whatever and it's like all all of ourselves wanted a smoky eye really <laughs> like <laughs> it's just like it's just not self-expression um and then in terms of gender identity i think it's so important to preserve a lot of these tools for that cause while also understanding that our participation as cis women can reinforce these cultural norms and mm. make it harder for the trans community, for non-binary folks to divest because we are reinforcing these gender ideals that aren't actually achievable for cis women either. So when we are raising the bar, when we are creating this um, image of femininity that requires product intervention, surgical intervention, um, injectable intervention, if that is what femininity looks like today, and we cis women can't even achieve it without um, investing a ton of time and effort and money, what does that say to the non-binary community? What does that say to the trans community? What does that say to people who are um, experimenting with their gender expression? Like our participation compounds their oppression. And I really think it's on um, cis women and cis white women, especially to evaluate um, where we are upholding these oppressive systems that make it harder for um, our brothers and sisters and siblings to, to express themselves. I'm going to sit with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I am also curious uh, what, if, if any, what has the response from the beauty and wellness industry been to your work? Um, in terms of industry, it has not been very welcoming. <laughs> um, I, I like to joke that my newsletter is the beauty industry's least favorite newsletter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of why I started my own newsletter. It's, you know, I was having a lot of trouble 
placing some of these stories that I thought were really important to tell in mainstream beauty publications. Um, and I didn't want that to stop me from telling these stories or investigating these issues. So I tried to create this platform where I could publish myself things that I thought were important to talk about. Um, but on the other hand, I have gotten so many amazing messages and emails and comments from people who are in the industry and are reevaluating their role and are reevaluating, you know, how they produce. Like, are they producing their products ethically? Are they being, um, mindful of their environmental impact? Um, what are they saying in terms of their marketing language? Are they reinforcing? horrible beauty standards? Are they actually promoting like skin health and skin care? Mm. Um, and every time I get an email from from someone within the industry who is reevaluating what they're doing because of my work, it it makes all the uh, other negative feedback so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone you think, whether it's a, a company or an influencer or a publication that is like getting it right? Yeah. I mean, I think... I think there are so many people getting it right in so many little ways. And part part of what I think the issue is in beauty is that as consumers, and we have become so spoiled. We want everything from every brand. We want everything to be cruelty-free and vegan and um, eco-friendly, but also really effective and get completely rid of any pimples or wrinkles that I have. Um, it also has to be in, in post-consumer recycled plastic or glass. Um, and it can't have too much, uh, you know, peanuts in the shipping container when it, when it comes. Like, we really are demanding so much of brands without understanding like the logistics of the industry, like implementing some of these changes, changes that I advocate for is really hard. That's mm -hmm. why like I kind of advocate for like don't start a brand because it's really hard to do everything like we don't need another brand. Um but I think also as consumers like we also have to become a little bit um less spoiled and particular in what we are asking for. Um and so what I say what I try to tell people when they are like how how can I be an ethical consumer? Um it, you can't really. There's always going to be something not super ethical. So I say pick the like two or three things that are really, really, really important to you personally, mm -hmm. and then seek out a brand that hits those three nails right on the head. Um, for me, a big thing if I'm buying anything skincare related is I don't want it to hurt my skin. And that's, I mean... <laughs> That eliminates 98% of the skincare industry. So I focus on skincare brands that um, formulate microbiome first. If you take care of your skin microbiome, which I wrote an article for um, on Coverture, if anybody's interested in reading that, if you take care of your skin microbiome and your skin barrier, you're pretty much set. Um, so I love the brand Symbiome and I love the brand for the biome. Um, those are those are two of my go-tos. They also like harvest all of their ingredients ethically, which is a big one for me. Um, and I mean, I try to avoid plastic as much as possible. So those are like, those are sort of some of my big things, but everyone's like big things will be different. Like if you're a vegan, vegan formulation is going to be huge for you. Right, I personally right. like use honey in my routine every day. So vegan is not a requirement for me, but I like fully support people who are really passionate about that and champion that. Um, so, you know, do what you can, where you can, and don't be spoiled. <laughs> so much for us to think about as a podcast 
which sets up every episode as two people who like to talk about serums. Is that really? I love that. Yeah, that's what, what we do mean. You that, think of- go ahead. Sorry, Jessica. Sorry. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, what you, what serums do you talk about? What's your favorite serum? What well, is that I mean, conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's both. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk because it's both our participation and analyzing our participation. And I think we mm-hmm. we look at the ways in which we participate in beauty culture. But I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I am an active participant, especially like I'm a product. I a collector. (laughs) I love to try different things. I'm Mm -hmm. constantly searching for the tool that's going to scratch the itch. But I think is what what you have really um, established is that the itch is it's not going to be solved. And I actually intellectually I know this, but still. um, Mm -hmm. And I another thing that I think is interesting is that you know we started this podcast because we wanted to talk like about you know skincare and beauty stuff, and then it quickly became clear that like that really wasn't all we wanted to talk about and that ticked some people off and other people I think liked that so it's it's interesting to kind of reflect on the conversations that we have had and how they've evolved over the last few years of doing the show that's awesome I have found that the the beauty community is um very passionate and that can like manifest in like l- loving you so much or just completely turning on you. So it was interesting. It's interesting to hear that some people liked your expansion and some people were not into it because I feel like I get that same like split, very passionate feedback mm. all the time. People either love my message or they unsubscribe after one email and they're like, you're horrible. You're so negative. <laughs> well, this has been eye-opening, just so delightful to get to dig into these topics with you, Jess. Um, I'm so glad you agreed to come on our show. Yeah, I'm thank you so, so much. you had me. Sorry yeah. if I get a little worked up. I just like, no. I go off on these tangents and then I'm like, was that, was that rude? Was that too much? Do I need no, to? No, I need not to too much. A little bit. <laughs> not at all. It's so thoughtful. And I feel like you've really given us a lot to chew on and think about. Um, it's just been so uh, helpful to get to speak to you. Yeah. I know, and so your glad. newsletter is fantastic. We b- are both subscribers, and I know we have a lot of members of our listenership who subscribe. But if they haven't, awesome. definitely, definitely check out Jessica's newsletter. It's it will push you to think. <laughs> um, but speaking of, where can people subscribe and follow along with your work? Mm-hmm. I am completely, almost completely off of Instagram these days, which has been a big project for me. Congratulations. So, thank you. It feels so good. Um, so the newsletter is definitely the best way to keep up with my work. And it's called The Unpublishable. So you can Google The Unpublishable or the URL is jessicadefino.substack.com. And that's where, that's where everything is. Amazing. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. I love chatting with you. Jessica is like one of those people where she really like shifts your whole perspective on things. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think she's probably one of the most important people I read and follow currently online in terms of, you know, pushing me to think challenging what I hold is true. Um, and doing so in like a very, very thoughtful and measured 
an effective way. Totally. Yes. You know, and I, I really appreciate, I was so into our conversation and, you know, I'm going to talk about this in another episode, but it really has led me to kind of rethink a lot of my consumption and skincare practices. Now, will I change all those things? TBD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I mean, truly in the wake of our conversation with her, I really, um, I don't know. It it really uh, led me to think about a lot of, a lot of practices in my life and a lot of beliefs I held. And so I just really value that conversation. Yeah, I do too. I'm so glad we got to talk to her. Yeah. All right. Well, Kate, that brings us to the end of our show. And let's do it. I do just want to remind everyone that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Cunio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, our network partners, ACAST. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye.